John chapter 13. We did 1 through 11 last week. We'll go 12 through 20 today. So we started looking last week in regard to how Christ loved them to the very end. And we'll kind of do part two of that, but I'm a has a different title. Verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. And truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So as we come to this next section in the upper room, there are two that are in on a secret that's going on, and only two. Judas knows what he's about to do. In regard to betraying Christ, Jesus knows what Judas is about to do. He is about to do the um, ultimate betrayal, but we will also see that all of this is connected to the scriptural fulfillment of leading to Christ's death. So in the upper room, they have just been debating amongst one another which one of them was the greatest. So there's 12 of them, and so they're having an argument in the upper room about which one is the greatest among the twelve. Now earlier they had had another debate about this that was initiated initially by John and James's mother. She had approached Jesus and said, hey Lord, when you come into your kingdom, I have a request for you. Can James sit on one side and can John sit on the other right up front next to you? And Jesus tells um, their mother, um, this is not for me to be able to do this. This is this is the Father's purpose to be able to do that, and so, so I, I can't do that. But, I, but he begins to share with them that those who are great in the kingdom of God are those who serve. So the context of John chapter 13 as it begins is this group of men who have been together for a while looking at one another, trying to measure themselves up and establish in their own eyes which one of them is greater. And so in the midst of this, to teach them a lesson, Jesus himself gets up and he takes off his outer cloak and he's got an inner robe that's there and he wraps a towel around his waist and he fills up a basin of water and he begins to go around the room and approach them. It's pretty clear from what we looked at last time that that Peter must have been the last one, it looks like, because he's been watching everything that has been taking place in the room and inside of him he's had this growing uncomfortable feeling of I cannot allow Jesus to come I know me I cannot allow him to come and wash me and so when Jesus gets to Peter he's like Lord um, I, I don't want you to do this and Jesus tells him look if I don't do this Peter 
then you will have no share, you will have no part with me. And so in that moment, Peter understands and says, Lord, not just to my feet, but will you, will you wash my head, will you wash my hands, because I need the cleansing from sin that only you can bring. And so Jesus finishes all of this, and he puts his cloak that he had taken off back on, and he goes and sits down, and he asks them the question, do you understand what I have done to you. And here we have the sovereign Lord of the universe who is about to be arrested in a few hours. He will be crucified somewhere in about 18 hours from this instance. And he will breathe his last and he's about to give this great sacrifice. And he gives this great model to them of how we are to love one another and live in the midst of one another by serving one another and washing one another's feet. This is a call that every Christ follower is to embrace. There is a spiritual gift called serving. It's really clear. But what we see here is not reserved for those who have the spiritual gift of serving. What we see modeled by Christ here is for everybody in the room this morning who has a relationship with Christ. We are to wash one another's feet. It's not, again, not reserved for those who have this gift. There are some great examples in history and also in the Scripture of those who lived this out. When we went to Nepal several years ago, we were teaching a group of church leaders and, and we were walking through the book of Philippians with them. And I had the privilege of coming to Philippians chapter 2 where Paul writes about a man named Epaphroditus. He had been sent. He was a member of the Philippian church. He had been sent to, to Rome to minister to the needs of Paul who was in prison and so somewhere either on the way when Epaphroditus gets to Rome or when he gets to Rome, he gets really sick. And he gets sick almost to the point of death. And, and so, but he, what he's there, he continued to identify himself with Paul, which kind of placed him in a difficult place because Paul was in prison because of his love of the gospel and his preaching of the gospel. But Epaphroditus gets sick, and Paul writes this about him in Philippians 2, verse 30. He says, For he nearly died for the work of of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. In the Greek, there are two meanings of this phrase, risking his life. One meaning is just simply uh, giving a definition. It means to recklessly open up or expose your life to danger. So by attaching his life to Paul, he was opening himself up with the Roman authorities that this guy must believe like this guy believes. And so so he opened himself up that way. But then there's another word that was used or, or another meaning that was connected with this phrase, risking your life. And it's connected with dice. It meant to roll the dice out and cast all of your bets, every bit of, of your bets on that it's going to end up in the right place. And so this is what Epaphroditus did. He rolled the dice in regard to giving all of his life and service to Paul and the gospel. About 200 years later, from Epaphroditus' life, there were a group of Christians in North Africa who called themselves the Gamblers. There was a big plague that had kind of run its course through that area. And inside the city of Carthage in North Africa, there was so much death that was there that they had begun to stack the bodies before people fled the city. In those days, Christians were not seen in a and very well, they were still persecuted and seen as kind of crazy people who 
um, who, who had lost their minds by believing in Jesus. But one of the things the believers in Carthage did is they began to go back into the city where all these bodies were stacked up, and they, the Christians would carry the bodies outside of the city, and they would bury them and give them a proper burial. And, and people began to notice that Christians are willing to gamble and give of their life for this one that they proclaim to follow and embrace and love. And I think in a, a world in which you and I live today that is continuing to spiral um, in more chaos, this kind of calling of serving the world as Christ served the twelve is really important for us. And so I want to look at this today and I want to talk about this morning embracing a towel and not a throne. So the twelve are fighting about, no, I'm greater, no, I'm greater, no, I'm greater. And Jesus gets up and says, no, let me tell you what's great. This is what's great. Christians aren't to seek a prominent place. They are to embrace a towel. This is, this is one of the great weapons in the church. The great tools in the church. Servanthood, embracing a towel, not trying to get recognition and, and, and prominence or, or I need the pulpit or I need this or I need this position. The call Jesus models for them is not that but that we would embrace a towel and, and serve one another in the washing of the feet. And so I want to talk today about what that looks like because Jesus asked them this question, do you all understand what I've just done for you? Because He wants them to get it. And so it's important for us this morning to also ask that question, do we understand why Jesus washed the feet of the twelve? But let's look first of all this morning making sure that we understand the ways of Christ. Let's look again at verse 12, if you would look with me. So when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place. And he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? Every aspect of the life of Christ, every word that he said, every action, every ministry thing that he did was a a moment of learning for the disciples about how they ought to live their lives what they ought to say and what should shape their lives. And on this day, there was a particular inf- uh, reference here that he calls them to and gives special attention to that he wants them to understand the significance of what he has done. So as they have been arguing over this, he models for them what greatness truly looks like as the sovereign Lord of the universe stoops low their master and washes their dirty feet. So here we have the Lord of the universe humbling himself to serve, revealing to you and I. Therefore, now you and I have no excuse but to do exactly as Christ models for us. And so I want to give you three initial implications in regard to humility. These will be up on the screen for you to see this. I think are important for us in regard to humility and serving one another. And the first one is this. Is humility comes not only in serving the Lord, which is important, that we come to Him not in a heart of arrogance, to serve Him. So it's not only just in serving Him and wanting Him to be honored, but it comes in wanting other people to be ministered to and to be honored by serving and loving them in the way in which Christ does here and models for us in washing feet. So humility comes not only in serving the Lord, but it comes in serving one another as well. Here's the second thing. 
joy comes from serving. If you've ever served before and completed a task and seen God do something, there's, there's a joy in the work in which you do. And so joy is, is learned not only by learning about humility, but joy comes from living out this faith that we have. So we can learn about it. So I can teach today about here's what humility looks like, here's what serving looks like, so we can learn about it. But if you really want to learn about joy and humility, you live it out by ministering to people that we know and love. Here's the third thing. Is that when we minister in love the way that Christ does here in the washing of the feet, it pictures the relational love that you and I should have for one another within the body of Christ and our willing as we minister to people to exercise cleansing and forgiveness and, and a number of different things. Paul wrote these words in Ephesians 4.32. He says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. There is a great danger that we would miss out on the teaching and the point of what Christ has done in this. When we miss the point, then we miss out on the joy and we miss out on the, on the opportunity to be able to walk in obedience in a way to minister to others and to minister to the Lord as we serve. The Gospel of John is, um, has six instances that talk about, do you understand this? And how people missed out on that. Some of those in regard with the Pharisees that Jesus would teach and he would do something and they would not understand what he was doing. One of those instances was in John chapter 8 verse 43 where he says, why do you not understand what I say? And again, he's talking to the religious leaders. And then Jesus answers the question and tells them, it's because you cannot bear my word. You don't want to listen to what I'm telling you about, about what you ought to believe and what you ought to understand about who I am. John chapter 12, we saw a few weeks ago that it is, his disciples didn't understand at first all the things that he did. But, but when Christ ascended and he went to heaven and the Spirit came, they looked back on those things and they began to understand the things that Jesus was teaching. So for us today, we have a chance this morning to kind of look back at something that happened 2,000 years ago in an upper room in the city of Jerusalem where the sovereign Son of God got down, stooped low, and he washed the feet of the 12 disciples. And so we have a chance to understand, why should we do this? Why did he do this? What are the implications from that? You see, the great priority of our life is to continue to seek Christ, to read about Christ, to pour our hearts out to him in prayer, to talk about him with others, to serve others, to hear preaching, to sing and worship and then to read and to read and to read the scriptural accounts of the glory of who he is. And in every word and everything that Christ did, we begin to understand more and more of why he did the things that he did and why those things are necessary to be a part of our lives. So I want to talk now about understanding the ways. And this is my last point this morning, kind of. I have about six things under point two. Point two is the last thing, but I've got about six things under here that Jesus tells us that are really, really important for us to understand why he washed the twelve's feet. Here's the first one. Here's what Jesus wants us to understand. 
that we must view Him as our teacher and our Lord. So look at 13. So He says, you call me teacher and Lord. And He affirms them, you're right. As you call me teacher and Lord, you are right, for so I am. So again, Christ given us this great model and example. He is the one that we look to. He is the ultimate teacher for us. We want to know all that we can know about who He is. To learn about His glory, to learn about His incredible tender mercy. And we learn most from reading about His life in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The rest of the New Testament are these explanations of of who He was and how do we understand the implications of who He was and what He did in our lives. And so He is our great teacher. And so they recognize that. You are the teacher for my life. And for us, that must be the case. Christ, You are my teacher, but not just my teacher. You are my teacher who at the same time is my Lord. Over 200 times in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the Lord. He is sovereign over everything. He is the one that we bow before. He is the, the Lord of the entire universe. And think of the craziness it would be to approach the one who is our great teacher, who is perfect and has all wisdom and has all power, to ever approach him and ever look at him as if he has anything at all not to say about life. He has everything to say about life. Everything that we need to know rests in who He is. And so we come to Him in humility. He models for us what that looks like, that before one another we serve and minister to one another in incredible humility. And He has just kind of flipped the world upside down on them. See, they... they live in a Roman-occupied world where if a Roman soldier came up and said, um, carry my pack, big pack, heavy backpack, they would have to carry it a mile by law. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told them, okay, um, as a Christ follower, don't just carry it one mile and just drop it and then get back to what you were doing. Get to one mile and show that Roman soldier that you're willing as a follower of me to go two miles and to go further, and to serve that Roman soldier in a way that he's never seen anything like that before. And so Jesus instructing them says this, listen, I am your teacher, and I am your Lord, and as your teacher and your Lord, I am willing to humble myself as the sovereign God of the universe and to wash and minister to you your feet. So here's the first implication of why he washed their feet to teach them that he is their teacher. What is he teaching them? You model your life after me. You do. I'm doing this. And even though I am Lord, you don't get an out because of that. You are to be as I am. So that leads us to the second thing. We must now follow his example and serve others in humility just like he did. So look at 14 and 15. So If I then, Jesus says, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So again, hear these words. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. 
Now, we live in a day and time, particularly the last 18 months or so, we're like, okay, wash your hands, sanitizer, all this kind of stuff. We go, okay, you know, why don't you wash your feet? I'll wash my feet, and we'll all kind of be okay about that, and everything will be much more cleanliness and healthy and safe and all that kind of stuff. But I, I just want to remind us, Christ, all holy, all powerful, he bows before these men not to worship them and to exalt them, but he bows to minister to them, and he, he touches the dirtiness of their feet and ministers to them right where they are. And one of the great aspects of servants of Christ is that we bow in humility to minister to the needs of other people, and we obey Christ in doing that as He has set the great example for us. So look again at verse 14 just for a moment. So if then, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, don't miss these words, you also ought to wash one another's feet. That's a command. This is not an, okay, if you want to do this, you can do it. But this is, no, this is what Christ's followers do. They minister to one another in this way. In the Greek, this tense of this word, ought to wash one another's feet, means this. It, mean, it carries the idea of continually doing good will to one another and, and finding ways to be able to do that. And so we are much like Jesus when we are serving others and ministering, ministering to them. And so He becomes for us the model in which we ought to see ourselves as servants of all. So y'all remember, right? Right? That He said, I did not come to be served, but I came to what? I came to serve. I came to serve. I didn't come so that I could sit somewhere where everybody could serve me, though his rightful authority and place would, 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 would have been that. That would have been a right response. But he said, I came to give you an example, and I came to serve. Luke records this for us in Luke 640. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So, so watch. If in our life we are not marked by ministering and, and serving others in all kinds of unique ways in their place of need, then our ultimate teacher is not Jesus. Because Jesus says there, listen, a student's going to be like their teacher. They will be shaped by the words of the teacher. That's why it's so important that we talk about that all the time, that we have teachers that shape us and teach us and call us to be like Christ. So when He becomes our teacher, we are transformed by walking with Him as our great teacher and our great Lord that we will be like Him. And so again, Luke 6.40, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. And so when we take this posture that we see from Christ here, and we exemplify Christ's likeness by loving one another and serving a broken world and washing one another's feet, it pictures the kind of love and care that we ought to have for one another in the body of Christ. But let's be honest, it's sometimes 
hard to let people inside of our lives to minister to us, isn't it? It's kind of hard sometimes to do that. We don't want to let people in to see our dirty feet. If I were to show you my left big toe right now, you would go, ooh, my family goes ooh at my house when they look at it. It's, I've got a big rip all the way from the toenail. It's not painful. And sock lint gets inside of it, and so it's just black and stuff. And so I have to work on that a lot. And so I don't have lovely feet. If you want to come wash my feet today, you will go, whoa, can you do something about that before I wash them? And, so, and I'm not. I can't. I just got a big gap that's there right now. So sometimes it's hard to open up our life and to let people in to minister to us. But I want to say this to you today, that if somebody is wanting to minister to you and they're wanting to step into your life, don't do this. Keep people away. Just, just, just do what Peter had to do. Okay, come in. You can step into my life and you can minister to a need that I really need some help with right now in my life. You see, we've learned, unfortunately, in the church, we've, this is what we practice. Come every Sunday and just make sure you tell everybody you're okay. And most Sundays we're not okay or we're halfway okay. And so, so part of serving others is not just initiating and serving them. Part of learning how to serve is what? Letting others get into our space and to minister to us. And that brings a healthy perspective. And again, I, it must have been so hard for the 12. Can you imagine what it was like? You've been with him for three years and he's washing your feet. He's never done this before. This would have been a really difficult thing for them to kind of process in the moment to understand that. But he was teaching them and modeling to them Guys, you must let others in your life to minister to you this way. You must also minister to others in this way. So he is our example in whom we serve others in humility. Look at 16. Let's look at the third thing, 16 and 17. So truly, truly, this is another popular phrase in John's gospel. I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master... Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent the messenger. And then Jesus says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There are aspects in our lives, sometimes where things within church life, spiritual life, they're uncomfortable. But Jesus demonstrates here that we are to embrace the dirt and the smell in others' lives, which sometimes might not always be the most easy thing to do. As Jesus washed their feet, they weren't exactly clean. And so no task for us as Christ followers is ever to be seen in our mind as something that we're not willing to do. There's a member of our church here, I'm not going to call them out by name, there's actually a couple of people that I've gone on trips with and I've, and I've been with and they do this all the time and it's always impacted my life. When it comes time to clean up some place that we've been and we've got to go back home after a trip, this person that I've gone on multiple trips with always immediately volunteers to clean the toilets. They're not like, okay, I'll, I'll kind of sweep up the kitchen. I'll kind of wash the dishes that we've used. But this person always says, I'll take the toilets, and they do it every time. 
And it's always had a great impact upon me because um, I think that is a model of what it looks like, that, that there's a mindset among Christ followers that we are not the ones who say, well, that's, that's off limits for me to do. But those who, have, those who understand the heart of Christ understand those kind of things. That I, There's not a task that I can do wherever and how I can minister to others and do the things that maybe aren't the most glamorous, but they are the right things to do. And so Jesus tells us here, listen, a servant is not greater than the master. He's the master. What did the master do? The master served. And so if a servant is not greater than the master and the master served, then the servants serve as the master did. Those who proclaim the, the gospel and have been sent, they are, they are sent to proclaim about who He is, but He has sent them. And so He proclaims. He sends us. And so we are like Him as He proclaims. We proclaim the truth and the heart of the gospel. And so a servant is not greater than the master. So we must know our place. We must remember our place that He is greater we are the servants. He is the master. We are messengers. He is the one who has sent us. And as the master um, who gives us commands, we are to follow those commands. We are to embrace those commands without questioning the wisdom of them because they are commands that have come from the absolute highest wisdom. This is what Christ followers do and this is how they live. Serving is our duty. It is our heart to do what we are supposed to do and embrace it whether we get a pat on the back. Do you think anybody in the upper room went over to Jesus later and went, patted him on the back? You're such a nice man, such a good man. No, I, th- I think they didn't know what to do with it. They were just so blown away by the humility that he had expressed. But you know what? They did get it. And they would spend the rest of their lives, once Pentecost came and the Spirit filled their life, they went out into the world and they served this way. There would be moments when they would get places of honor because that happens sometimes. And they would have to learn these lessons of humility again. Peter had to learn it. In Acts, you see that. He kind of shies away from, from being with the Gentiles when the Jews are around. And Paul confronts him and reminds him that he can't do that. And that lovingly, Paul's confrontation was a, was a ministering, a washing of the feet of Peter to remind him, Peter, there's forgiveness in this, but I want you to know as I serve you in telling you the truth that you cannot live this way, we embrace the Gentiles, Peter. We embrace who they are. So Jesus is greater as master and messenger, and yet we as well, we follow that model from Him. I've been in this kind of work for multiple decades now. I'm very young. I know I look like I've aged, but I'm actually really young. It's just an optical illusion in your life. Um, this body that stands before you. And I, but I've been at this for a long time. And one of the things I've learned, and I'm for the most part okay with it, I think. Sometimes my humanity grabs me as, it, as yours does. But a lot of times if you're going to serve in the church, you're, you're not going to get the encouragement that maybe you should get. And probably we as Christians need to be way better at encouraging people who serve and do things 
But you're probably not. It's just the reality of things. And so what we end up having to do is this. Nobody patted Christ on the back that day. And so we serve for the greatness of His glory, whether anybody in the church or anywhere else claps for us and pats us on the back. Ultimately, we are commanded to serve this way and love this way. But again, I will say that we should practice better encouragement. But we, we probably will never get the appreciation for the things that we do. But we're not doing it for us, right? That's not, we're doing this for Him, for the greatness of His glory. So we keep our eyes on Jesus. We fix them on Him. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. And so there is a blessing, did you notice there, that if you do these things, you will be blessed. God wants to pour out blessings on His people, and one of the ways that He does that is when we exercise humility in serving one another. And so Jesus says, if you know these things, and the word there is the idea is practice, know them and practice these things, you will be blessed if you do these things. So there is a strong theology of God that we know His nature, His character, His glory, His majesty, His greatness, His eternal nature. It should always, what we know of Him, should lead to a living out our faith in practical means in the lives of other people. Our faith should be intensely practical. Simple obedience is powerful. It's impacting and it is freeing in the lives of other people when we do this. So let me say this another way before we move on to the next point. In Christianity, we have great creeds, things that we stand upon and we proclaim these things are true. That should continue to be true for the church. But there's something connected to our great creeds that must also be a part of our lives. And that is there should be great deeds that we live out because of what we know to be true about who Christ is. So we have great creeds that should lead us to living out in deeds our faith in the world. Let's look at the next thing. Eighteen. So he says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Here's the next lesson that Jesus teaches here from the washing of the feet of the disciples is that the scripture is always going to be fulfilled. In Psalm chapter 41, in the midst of that psalm are these words. Psalm 41, 9. Even my close friend, in whom I have trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. If we didn't know about Judas, you would read that in Psalm chapter 41 and go, what in the world does that mean? Well, Jesus connects in the upper room Judas with Psalm 41, verse 9. He would offer bread to Judas, and we'll see that. I don't think it's next week. I can't remember. Next week or two weeks, 
He'll offer this bread to Judas that was given as a sign of friendship at the Passover meal. And uh, Judas is not really interested in, in following Christ, but he's going to lift up his heel. And this word in the Greek means this. I used to do this as a kid. We used to love to do this as a kid. I don't know if kids still do this. But we'd be out on the playground and somebody would be running by real fast and you'd stick your foot out and trip them. Not a real nice thing to do, but, you know, we should do that. I have had it happen to me. That's literally what this word means, who lifts up his heels. Watch. Christ came. He's walking in obedience to his Father, fulfilling Scripture. And all along the way, this is what Judas was doing. He was lifting up his heel, trying to trip up Jesus. And here we are at the very end, in the last hours of Christ's life. He has gone to the authorities and said, I can deliver him up to you. What will you give me? And they're like, how about 30 pieces of silver? And Judas is like, yeah, that'll work. And so all along the way, he was sticking out his foot trying to trip Jesus. But I want you to watch this. Our God is so sovereign and so powerful that it doesn't matter what man does. You know what God accomplishes? His purposes. So even though Judas was trying to stop this and stick out his foot to trip Jesus, watch. God was using Judas's motives and Judas's actions, watch, to move things along according to Scripture to accomplish getting Jesus to be on the cross that Friday afternoon. And so here, I, before we move on to the next thing, I, I want to talk about this for a moment. The Scripture is always going to be fulfilled. That is why we can have great confidence in it. So right here in the upper room, the Scripture is going to be fulfilled. Psalm 41.9 is going to be fulfilled in the heart of Judas. Is that Judas will try to trip up Jesus And so I want you to think back over the last 18 months. It's been a crazy 18 months. The world and all the stuff that's going on. And and it seems like like every week we're like, like, okay, can it get get any worse? Well, yeah, yeah, I can. Can can it? And next Sunday we may go, yeah, it kind of just kind of unraveled a little bit more. But I want you to know this. And we must know this and embrace this. God is always moving things along according to Scripture. So let me tell you what He's been doing the last 18 months. You know what He's been doing? He has been moving things along according to His eternal purpose in regard to Scripture, and He is going to accomplish His purpose. And so let China lift out its foot. Let COVID Try to trip up. Let this lift its heel. Let this lift its heel. Let this lift its heel. I just want to remind us as Christians, we do not panic. And here's why. Our God is sovereign and he will fulfill his word and he is moving things along according to his purpose. Are y'all with me? How do we know that to be true? Well, I think history reveals it and then his word reveals it. Let me remind us of something really powerful. Isaiah told us this in Isaiah 55, 10, and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but they water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower 
and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall never return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose, and it shall succeed for which I sent it. Even Judas was a part of moving Scripture along to get Jesus to the cross. And what happened at the cross? Our glorious salvation. Do you know what that tells us? The world's going to fall apart. Yeah. God's not. And his people don't have to succumb to that. We have a great confidence that he is accomplishing his will according to his word. Just a couple more things as we finish. So look at 19. God's omniscience should lead us to deeper belief, and this is what he tells them. So he tells them 19, I am telling you this now about Judas and about the other things, and really particularly about Judas, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. So Jesus was not shocked by the heart of Judas. He was not surprised by this. He knew all along what Judas would do, who Judas would be. And so he's telling them, listen, this is coming. And so when you look back on this, you're going to know, you're going to have confidence that I knew this was going to happen, that I was going to be betrayed, that the fulfillment of Psalm 41 would take place. And you'll know that my omniscience knew about this, that in my knowledge I knew about this, and it will bring a confidence to you that I know all things, that I'm not surprised about things. This wasn't, oh my goodness, Judas is walking in the garden of Gethsemane, and he's betrayed me with a kiss. That was not a shock to Jesus. He knew this was coming. So when the disciples, watch, this built their faith, when they looked back on it, they would go, he knows, I can trust him. He knows things before they happen because he is not confined, confined by time and space. He is sovereign. He is God in the past. He is God in the present. He is God in the future. He knows every single thing before it even happens. And so again, for the, the 12, he was telling them, this is going to build a great confidence for you. You're going to look back on this moment and you're going to know that I knew about this. And that I, all the while, I was trusting in my Father. All right, we'll close with this. Look at 20. So truly, truly, those words again, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Again, this is a repeat of Matthew chapter 10, verse 40, when he sent them out two by two and he told them whoever receives you receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me and so Jesus is sharing this again with them as a last minute reminder to reinforce what he has been saying all along about the oneness between he and his father and so here's here's the perspective here so the father sent the son so therefore whoever receives the son receives the father the Son sends His people with the gospel into the world. And as they go and proclaim, all who would receive 
them and their message, they would receive Christ and by embracing the proclamation of the gospel. And so Jesus closes this out. And again, it may seem, sound a little weird. Okay, this is one of the reasons why he did it. Yeah, he's affirming this. Remember what he said all along, that he never did anything unless the Father directed him, right? Who has directed the washing of the feet? The Father has. So when you, when you go and you wash the feet of others and you minister to them in the heart of the gospel for their good, for God's glory, whoever receives the Son receives the Father. And the Son sends His people with the gospel to minister in this way. And those who receive them and listen to the message, so many of them believe and trust in Christ. So last thought. I think one of the other reasons Jesus was telling them ahead of time about Judas, that he knew things, that when they looked back on it, they they would know that Jesus knew what Judas was about to do, is that it communicated to them, and it should communicate to us, a trust in God's knowledge and a trust in God's control and a trust in what God is doing. Judas would not win. The world will not win. Can I remind you that the victory has already been won? And this symbol before us in the room today is a symbol of that. The victory has been won. Christ came. He bore sin. He's offered his life. He invites us into relationship. And in that, we are reminded that even in this horrible betrayal by Judas, it was used to get Christ to the cross to bring about the ultimate victory. The death of the Son of God who paid the ransom for our captivity to free us by His blood. So as I stand before you this morning, as you sit here this morning, I I want to remind you and I today, we can have absolute confident trust that when things seem out of control, God is not out of control. And that He will always move things along to His intended purpose in Scripture. And if that's the case, you know one of the ways that we find stability in the midst of the chaos if he's moving things along according to scripture what should we know more than anything else the scripture this is how we can navigate and keep our sanity because i don't know about you this world the world i live in seems a bit off and out of control and yet in the midst of that there are moments when i can Okay, it's all right. Because I know my God is sovereign. So picture this again. It's not a sword that we need. It's a towel. It's one of, the, one of our tools. We are people who do not seek a throne. We don a towel to minister to one another. He's pretty amazing, isn't he? Jesus, just, again, his humility is astounding.
to witness and behold. And I want to be like him. Will you pray for me because I'm not like him? But I want to be like him. I want to minister in that way. And I want, I've been asking this week because this kind of talk gets all in your business and just reveals that I need him to awaken and help me to love the way that he loved all the way to the very end. Let's pray.